Welcome back to Humans of Purpose. I'm your host, Mike Davis, and each week I bring you conversations with local purpose-driven leaders. Leaders creating social impact through their work and inspiring positive social change across a wide variety of sectors. Sit back, tune in, and enjoy the next 40 minutes guaranteed to inspire you with our signature blend of wisdom, experience, and banter. Learn more at humansofpurpose.com. Are we making the world better? You know, um, are we um, are we working with people where we're helping facilitate a really good story for them, um, or, or, or you know, people who are people and businesses who have a genuine impact on the world? And I think as a result of that, you know, we've seen there being this great opportunity for us to contribute more through nonprofits and impact based businesses, businesses who are you know maybe entirely you know corporate and commercial, but they've got these elements of wanting to give back. Um, and wanting to do more. And I think for me, I've always had a soft spot with startups. You know, like they've got this big vision, this big idea, and they're going to change the world and kind of helping them do that. Happy 2023 and great to be back with you here as always. As we commence another year of highly quality curated listening where I'll bring you another 50 hours of quality conversations with local purpose-driven leaders creating a positive social impact through their work. It's a big year for Humans of Purpose as we close in on 300 episodes. In case you missed it in our previous bonus podcast, I talked a bit about some of my biggest learnings from Stoicism, which I think you'll enjoy and will start to become a bigger part of our programming moving forward. This will include reflections on how we can work on our own character, how we think, and how we can act to lead a more tranquil and fulfilling life. I usually start these podcasts off with a big thank you to our major sponsor, Neon Treehouse, who are still the best digital agency on the planet Earth. They're doing a great job on all our social media and marketing needs and making us look far better than I ever could myself. On that note, this week, I'm speaking with Josh White, CEO of Neon Treehouse. Josh has done an incredible job raising Neon Treehouse from a sprout of an idea to a bright and imaginative digital agency who are really making waves in the space. Neon Treehouse have a diverse portfolio of clients, some really amazing people, and a great vision to help the organisations of today and tomorrow help create a better future. Neon Treehouse have just celebrated their 10-year anniversary, which is no mean feat in this highly competitive sector, so a big congratulations to Josh and the team. I was particularly interested to hear about Josh's work in this episode with crowdfunding platforms, 3D printing, and what he thinks some of the predominant current and future trends we can expect to see in digital and social media in this year and years to come. Josh and I met about two years ago at the Commons in Cremorne, and it was also just great to reconnect and talk about work, life, and more. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Josh as much as I did. Lovely to be with you on Friday morning. It's the night of the Commons' uh, 10-year anniversary party. How are you feeling about the journey? Feeling good. Uh, it's been, um, you know, a little bit of reflection over the last year, which has been great. Um, but I think I've just, uh, you know, finally feel like the, the 21-year-old version of myself is kind of living the dream, you know. So it's, uh, it's been nice to kind of be at that stage where you were dreaming about at the time. Do you, do you feel like your dream was this or this became your dream? Became the dream for sure, mm. but uh, you know I think there were early signs. Um, early signs uh, when I first started, where I was like, I want to be able to build out a team. I know I can't work by myself. Um, you know, I want to be able to work uh, with people. I want to be able to help other people succeed. I want to be able to work with brands that are growing. There were some early signs of, of those sorts of things. I suppose you know at the time um, when when we started as a digital marketing company ten years ago, you know, there's no. Um, 
uh, like the way that digital looks today is probably not what you know you would have necessarily seen happening ten years ago. Oh man, ten years ago, sort of hard to imagine. Sort of just like post the first wave, uh, yeah. Facebook, Twitter, yeah, probably Instagram was just coming around, Snapchat. Like we were doing, you know, in the early early days because there wasn't enough work in Adelaide <laughs> or, or, or Australia for that matter. I imagine Adelaide would have been like one of the last to embrace social media and digital. <laughs> well, it's funny. Sorry. It's funny. So like, <laughs> no offense. We had this um, Canadian rock band where we were answering tweets um, when they'd go to sleep. <laughs> really? Yeah. So we we would like. So that's what we were doing. <laughs> that's an amazing um, job. <laughs> um, you, do you want to say the rock band? <laughs> um, if you no, don't, that's okay. <laughs> no, definitely not. Just in case. Was it made corn or something? <laughs> Was it Limp Biscuit? I always used to call them a Bon Jovi lookalike. Is what I used to say. Um, Every eighties rock band. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But uh, they, they, um, you know, that was kind of cool. And then we did some stuff for some executives in Southeast Asia, looking after their Twitter profiles and stuff. Would you respond to my Twitter profile? I probably did at the time. You know, when, you, when you were young, you're trying to meet with these Southeast Asian executives. I was like, yeah, cool, mate. Cool story. <laughs> Great story. <laughs> Yes, I would love to meet you in Russia and become your mail order husband. <laughs> Sounds excellent. Yeah, yeah. So many people married. It was it was a wonderful time. <laughs> so many people connected to their their um, Nigerian princes. You know, just so digital and the world must have changed a lot in ten years. I feel like it's certainly the past year or two or the past three years must have been a, a huge sea change for digital. What what? How do you see things now as opposed to how you saw them a few years ago? Yeah, uh, I guess like in the early early days. Um, you know, this pay-to-play thing didn't exist at all. It was just all about having a community and mm. people could find you, albeit not a wide audience because it was only people who were, you know, jumping on social and, and using it and enjoying it. MySpace, come and listen to my favourite music. <laughs> Do you like my sparkly background <laughs> on my personal profile? Um, but, yeah, no, it's it's, um, it's changed a lot from, from that side of things. It's gone really from community to pay-to-play. It's just another real estate asset that you can, you know, that you can sell through. Um which has been um, exciting as everyone's adopted um, a lot more. Um, at, but at the same time, you know, um, the uh, struggles that people have had to try to really connect. And it, it's no surprise that people feel like, you know, the space has become unauthentic because where it started, you know, it was all about authenticity and mm. closeness to customer. Organic growth and whatever. Yeah. And then it just very quickly shifted to um, algorithmic, ads, algorithmic yeah. machine learning, you know, like, we're not going to tell you what you like, um, uh, but really we are. Everything that you do is going to be our personal archetype of what we think is there. I imagine like a bit of a, you know, kind of um, personal stylist, all black, you know, high um, uh, high necked sort of uh, um, jumper or whatever, like just looking past, swiping through people, just like working out, painting them like a, you know, like a, like a canvas yep. in, in the sort of style that they want. Um, because, you know, you see enough messaging or enough, you know, hype around a particular thing, it's hard not to get excited by it or interested by it or mm. curious by it. Mm. So there's a lot of power that kind of sits the other way. Um, that was a great dinner. So great. Wait, where'd you park the car? Oh, the one I just sold at Carvana. What? When did you do that? When you were still looking at the menu. I went on Carvana.com and all I had to do was enter the license plate or VIN, answer a few questions, and got a real offer in seconds. They picked up the car already? No, I parked around the corner. But they are picking it up tomorrow and paying me right on the spot. Oh, no wonder you picked up the check. Yeah, about that. Uh, thought we were going halvesies. Sell your car to Carvana. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to get a real offer in seconds. But I guess on the on the flip side, like people, more people are using it, more people are connecting through it. Like, so do you think um, people realise when it became pay to play? Like I think what you're referring to is like that 
critical time period where it was like, now we're going to charge you to actually access your own originally organic audience? Yeah. So it became, hey, you've got 100,000 followers. But uh, if you're going to post anything, I'm only going to show it to like 2% of those people. And so a lot of people might not know this, but that's how it is now, right? Yeah, totally. And that's why you don't, like when you say something that you think is really interesting and your people would also find interesting, you might get like one like or interaction. Totally. And then it becomes, well, I know I can get 3% or 3.5% if I hack my way through this thing and do these things that the algorithm likes. And then by the time you get to the other side and you've actually got you know, a lot more exposure and visibility to the community than you had before. It's mm. like, are you saying the stuff that you really wanted to say? Yeah, because you know? you, you're essentially engaging in the the um, art or the act of marketing at that point. Yeah, and that's where, you know, pay to play is actually better yep. because you can actually just say what you actually want to say. In a way, it's maybe more authentic. Yeah, I, I, I think so. Because it, it sort of like takes you away from that space of like organic virality where you're actually just trying to sell a product, but maybe you shouldn't be able to do that if you are speaking organically? Yeah, I mean, even like I, I look at TikTok, for example. Um, the, I don't know whether you see this uh, at all, but... Um, I see whatever you send me on TikTok. <laughs> cool, there's a so lot, you do. A lot of unread messages. <laughs> <laughs> but there's these videos of like people, you know, cutting soap over the top of um, like um, little clips from TV shows and movies and stuff. So you just see at the bottom you see... Uh, this guy like cutting soap. Or, like, Why is he cutting soap? <laughs> well, exactly. But I-, I was watching this video of this guy who does it, and he was just like, "Yeah, I just I don't know. I just kind of worked out that people uh, it got good viral um, traction, and so I just kept cutting soap and tried out new clips." And he like, and he actually makes you know, pretty good money from See, it. See, that's that to me is entirely disturbing that somebody can become wealthy from cutting soap. Absolutely. Like yeah. what a waste of everyone's eyeballs and that guy's life. It's, it's the boring version of a Fight Club story for sure. <laughs> exactly. Like, you know, but that's, that's you know, when I look at that, I think to myself, like there's some great stuff going on. Maybe other people would look at that and say that's an entrepreneurial genius. <laughs> I think I think a lot of people would. The guy himself is probably thinking, you know, I've got myself a bit further ahead, you know, how, how great for me. And good on you, you know. Absolutely. But how is he going to shower effectively? Well, he's just lost all his soap. That's right. Uh, yeah, Has he thought about the downside economically <laughs> and practically? The guy actually went bankrupt because he couldn't afford any more soap because he cut <laughs> he it all smelled up. so bad, no one would work with him. I assume he's just cutting it into the into the bath, <laughs> yes. just, just cutting the soap into the bath, letting it all dissolve. That's the right place for soap. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. The, the, um, so was he actually selling products? Was he selling the soap? No. Just, just so a content creator. Okay. Wow. Yeah. What's the point of the soap? And then you'll be known forever as that guy who became really successful for cutting soap on TikTok. And like yeah. maybe you get recognised for that in real life. Well, the, the, he, he did this little skit which was like, you know, not involving soap at all, which was great. But it, he was essentially talking about like what it's like to tell people what you do. And he's like, you know, oh, what do you do? I had like, he's, oh, you got this nice house. What do you, what, what do, you do? Oh, content creator. Oh, cool. Like, so you do this? Like, uh, something similar to that. Oh, is it, is it this? Uh, is it, what, what, what do you make? What do you make? Oh, well, you know, um, those videos about people cutting soap? And he, and he essentially describes that and the other guy's just like super unimpressed. <laughs> you know, so. Um, it reminds me of me at family functions when like my cousins, I was telling my cousins from Israel, here at the moment and one of them said to me so so what do you do <laughs> <laughs> it's like, 
I have, a, I have a real job, but it's hard enough to explain my job, let alone <laughs> yeah. how cutting soap can be monetized. Yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> anyway, I signed up to his coaching course. And, yeah. <laughs> and now I'm great at cutting soap. <laughs> <laughs> Can't do the content part, but I can definitely cut soap, which is cool. Your team actually, I mean, it's no surprise because you're a digital agency and the world's greatest digital agency, as all our supporters know, that's our major sponsor, shout out, just no pressure to do that right now. But um, your team actually produces really good TikTok videos, like, do you tell them to do that? Do I tell them to make good do TikTok videos? Do you instruct videos? them like you, you have to, <laughs> hey, young people, make two TikTok videos <laughs> a week and it has to be like this or like do they just organically decide to do it? I mean, luckily, they're really good. Luckily they haven't followed my advice. <laughs> my, thank you for saying that. But, uh, you know, they still haven't made one soap video, um, which I'm a bit disappointed Why not by. though? Are they not following the trends? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I keep saying. Yeah. Anyway, they do clearly better than uh, what the soap videos would. Um, no, nah, it, I think, um, you know, as a... As a um, Bright and imaginative agency has been what we, we're trying to be. Uh, and with that, you're looking for bright ideas, different perspectives, those sorts of things. Um, and, you know, I think just the boiling pot of people in the, in the team allows for us to have so many different, um, worlds that we're kind of, um, tapping into to, to produce like well, well perspectived content. Mm. I think that helps as well, particularly when you talk about that sort of TikTok content as well. Um, you know, instead of it just being like, oh, this person's algorithm is just showing these four videos. So that's the sort of stuff that we're doing. You know, you've got a team of 25 plus who are kind of contributing to that conversation uh, and finding really special stuff. So, um, yeah. I like, like the ones it. of the um, the girls dancing around in the Adelaide office to like ridiculous music I've never heard of. They're great. I mean, it's fun. <laughs> it's different, you know. Yeah. I, I love that idea of just like um, showing your young, bright and imaginative people having fun at work. Yeah, what I mean, could be better. The thing is, as well, you know, obviously, with um, uh, you attract what you've, you know, what 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 you're selling to some respects. Like, I mean, we we've always had this um, uh, willingness to look for um, people who've got a bit more experience and try to bring that into the into the space. But you always find, you know, naturally, there's an attraction because of the team and the structure of what's there um, to to people who are like. Say, oh, well, I'm friends with this person, or I know that person. I went through uni with that person, or I did a job with this person a couple of years back. I'd like to work with them again, you know. And that's kind of built our team. But we're we're always on the hunt to, um, you know, have it structured as a um, a mix of you know people who are um, you know a bit older, people are a bit younger, um, but everyone being ultimately uh, excited by what Digital has to offer. Yeah, you know, like there's no reason why. You know, a 22 year old has to be the only person telling everyone what they want to buy. You know, like there's different life stages that we want to tap into as well. And like how, you know, someone who's um, 45 looking at, you know, self managed super products, um, how they explore a service like that is going to be fundamentally different to how a 22 year old, you know, fundamentally understands yeah. that, that process. You so know? thinking about that, I mean, like you must spend a lot of time actually almost doing the human centered design or the, the user experience part of it, which is like, um, you know, if we are selling self-managed super fund stuff or we're working with an, with a, a super um, organization, like how does a 50 year old engage with digital, a 50 year old, um, female engage with digital and like where yeah. will they find that? So I suppose you have to give a lot of strategic advice where you actually have to put yourself in the shoes of those users and think how might they want to engage with these messages? Yeah, and a lot of the clients that we're working with, they don't have huge market research budgets either, you know. So the thinking that you have to um, bring to the table without having a, you know, a paper essentially suggesting 
you know, these are the things that they like, that they dislike. We've spoken or asked questions about your brand and these are the things they like and these are the things they dislike. Um, you know, without having that, that methodology that, that a larger budget will allow, finding different ways to, you know, extract that from your audience, um, different ways of, you know, kind of thinking a bit differently. Like some brands have done the same thing for, you know, five, eight, ten years, you know, plus just like spoken about the same stuff. And even, like often we've found just people shifting agencies to different content uh, different content creators and just a slightly different tweak on the way that things are written, for example, mm. even if it's within the same tone of voice, you know, it's the same style guy, you know, everything kind of fits still. It's just got that different twang. Even that can be enough to stop people. Oh, that's, that's new. That's different from this, these yeah. guys. And, and so there's, um, it's, it's not only about you know, just really getting down to the heart of it. If you've got down to the heart of it day one, um, you still have to produce content regularly for that person. Yeah. And naturally they'll desensitize a bit to, the closeness and relevance you have to them and their problem and their pain points and so on. So sometimes it is just like mixing it up too. So changing things up and like how, like what spread would you say of clients? Because I know obviously some clients will come to you and say, we have a common strategy. This is where we, these are our channels. This is our audience. This is mm. how we do things. And they're like quite evolved in how they do their thinking around messaging. And then you probably have some clients who are like, um, here's the stuff we want to promote. We don't know how to do anything. Mm. Like so, let us like you tell us what the messages are and where to find the people and all that. Like, who are we? Yeah, who are, who am I? <laughs> what are we? Seriously though, who am I? Yeah. <laughs> we'll get to that when we have coffee up. But um, so like, what's the mix like of that? What of the split between those types of clients? Yeah, so um, I th- I think COVID changed a lot. We had a lot of really great planning businesses and and uh, you know, planners. A lot of you know really good deeper thought that was involved in that business and then you know you cut their budgets you cut their teams um they're running flying at the edge of their seats to kind of keep up with covid um related issues dramas whatever um and then especially for e-commerce brands like you know you get to the other side and retail is up year on year on year on year on year people are going nuts and you've got shortages and all of a sudden their, their priorities and their busyness and their kind of um their attention is locked up in so many different things and I don't think that for many people that settle around like I can now re-go back to how planned I was before has quite hit yet. Um, so I, I wouldn't want to comment too much on broadly speaking what people are like because a lot of people have actually had to change their pace over the last yep. couple of years. However. You've uh, been become like more adaptive? Yeah, I think more more adaptive. You know, we started off as being really reactive when COVID first hit because it was about just like keeping up with everyone's like a million different strategies. Yeah, you know, no one really knew what way to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once we got on the front foot and we were able to provide a bit of you know measure and and so on to what they were doing, we were able to you know then guide things a little bit um, more safely and 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 give people more space to think. But naturally, like I mean, we don't work really that much with government. Um, or huge, huge enterprise. You know, our top clients aren't Pepsi, Coke, Nike, you know, um, Apple. Like we're, we're working um, with um, SMEs. Um, we're working with um, some NFPs. You know, we're working with what other acronyms can I throw out there? Are you used all of them? There's none left. Uh, the one, two, threes, ABCs, you know, those guys. Um, you went to the Jackson 5 now, which is <laughs> nice deviation. Yeah. <laughs> the segment is on the best Christmas songs. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, so they, like the, the, the small to medium enterprise teams, especially on the lower end, do tend to have, you know, a smaller um, uh, marketing team. Um, you know, even some of the people that we're working with, it's a single marketing person mm. or working directly with the owner. 
um, you know, there, there's um, different cadences as to the way that they deal with things. If they're more reactive, you know, it doesn't matter how much planning we, we're doing, we still have to have some level of, of uh, reactiveness. But I think um, generally speaking, like we do have probably a 50-50 split between those who are really resting entirely on us for the what am I, what do I do next, what's next for us. Mm. Um, 50% who say I, I know everything that I want to achieve this year but I want you guys to come in and help us understand how we can level it up. Yeah, how we can five exit. Like we know we want to do Black Friday. We know we're doing that. Yeah, this budget. But, but how so do we make it awesome? Your approach is like uh, almost like we see what you're doing. Here's the uplift, and here's where we think we can achieve maximum impact for you guys. Yeah, like I mean, we don't have to be involved in strategy. It yep. can be this is the strategy. Oh, okay. Well, if that's the strategy, I see your execution plan here. May I recommend this, this, and this yeah. to kind of complement what you're looking at doing over here mm-hmm. to to give you the you know the best um, the best possible outcome. And that's that's an interesting space to be in because it's kind of like we'll implement, but we'll also advise a little bit. Yeah. So how do you know? Like, do you ever get yourself in sort of difficult binds where it's like, oh, I really want to give this advice, but this is a really conservative client, and I don't <laughs> want to piss them off also because their strategy is pretty set. Or yeah, I, I've always found um, our. Well, my approach, and therefore, I think probably what has um, I've, I've tried to rub off on the team has been just say it. Um, just so, it's so Adelaide, Josh. I love it. Throw it out there, you know. Yeah. Um, because the worst thing is that they say, "Look, yeah, that's cute, but we're not going to do that um, because of this, this, and this," you know. <laughs> and it's like, okay, but I just wanted you to know, like, that's something that I think could be good. And when we, you know, get to the other side, if it does or doesn't work, if it does work, great. I still think this could have been a cool idea. If it doesn't work, it's like, look. You know, there's enough and downs, there's some learnings, you know, um, improvements, whatever. I think this could be something really good, you know, knowing the results for what they were this time around, would you be open to trying it again next yep. time? And at least it's there out on the table as a, as a measurable component yep. so that when they say maybe turn around and say, um, oh, this wasn't great, like what could we have done better? Oh, mm. we could have done this. What do you mean we could have done that? I, I, I would have said yes. They probably wouldn't have, but like, you know, yeah, that, knowing it wasn't Giving there. them the option. I mean, I suppose that that's what it means to evolve as an organisation, as a business, is to test, learn and adapt new ideas and concepts. And if you're not doing that, um, really you're kind of stagnant. Yeah, you're dead. You may just not be improving at the rate that you could be, which is um, a kind of missed opportunity. Yeah, and there's so much happening online like um you know in, in digital marketing you know uh every platform is changing their algorithms you know they're doing it for the like for the perceived or the or the attempts to be better for you yeah but it doesn't mean that every change they make is perfection and no. it's just like perfect for you today like there's going to be stuff that- well let's talk about some of the major platforms because i think it's a really like interesting time for almost like a consolidation or like a, a great uh, what do I want to call it? Great resignation's already been used. We won't use that. <laughs> it's almost like um, a dissolution or like a consolidation into only a few useful platforms. Yeah, I think if you were going to coin anything, I'd call it the great fragmentation. Yeah, the great fragmentation. Know? That's good. What, what, what I'm trying to say is like I feel like there used to be four or five reasonable mm. cha- channels um, to put you know, budget into or to try and you know, reach an audience, whereas now I feel like um, Twitter is just a complete – bloody mess. Mm. I feel like Facebook, I've lost a lot of confidence in Meta mm-hmm. uh, just because of the, the Metaverse play, which I think is absolutely ridiculous. Um, probably on par with how I feel about some of the NFT crypto stuff and mm. just not really on board. Yeah. Um, well, where do you sit and look at kind of like do you feel similar ways about, you know, Twitter, Facebook, Meta? So I'm all in on the Metaverse NFT. No, 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 no. You are not. I know you. I know you're not. <laughs> um, I mean – 
I and he bought a house near Snoop Dogg in the <laughs> Yeah, I've been na- I was neighbor. He's never there though. He's always in the real world. <laughs> What's he do wasting his time in the real world? <laughs> um no, so I I am surprised. I think the metaverse will eventually become something. I'm surprised at how much focus has been there immediately, but you know, happy to be proven wrong now. I guess Do you think Zuck fucked it essentially by saying um metaverse is going to be the thing like in the middle of covid kind of yeah i feel like it's um i feel like it was just a really big publicity play overhyping what it was knowing surely that there was going to be some form of recorrection in the market at that like this sort of spending might not be necessarily considered you know viable but i also wonder whether it wasn't done so that he could um you know try to um get it into a position where it was seen as an absolute necessity to compete for shareholders. Yeah, like create a monopoly market. Well, more more like if we don't do this, you're, it's, it's not in the best interest of your shares. So if we can get you across the line of like this is where we have to go to maintain, you know, um, shareholder confidence as you move into these kind of tough, turbulent times that we're in now from an economy perspective. So you're saying he had to come up with the next big idea? I think so. I think that's what he was like looking for. And you're right around the confidence piece there on on Meta, um, broadly speaking. Like the share price has plummeted. Um, it's been widely recognised as an enormous failure. Yeah, that gamble. Yeah, and I think um, you know it's not even outside of the metaverse. You know, there's kind of been this um, stagnation, I suppose, of the Meta um, offering. Yep. Um, but in saying that, like, you know, for me personally, like, uh, I think it's a, it's about ensuring that everyone is aware that, like, the stagnation of the business and the company should be seen very separate to, you know, the stagnation of the ad platform offering. Yeah, true. Because people come to me and say, oh, yeah, man, it's dead, isn't it? And I was like, no, no, the ad platform is really strong. Well, they, they've always had the best segmentation of audience, right, and the best ability yeah. to reach your target audience. I mean, even just like when you really think about it, it's like what, what do you use, Facebook? Nah, I don't use Facebook. Um, but I, I do. I, I do still use Facebook. Like, I mean, I don't use it, but I suppose I think on Facebook the only useful function now is groups. Like the mm. groups are really booming on Facebook. I think they had the best group functionality for like special interest things. Mm, mm. Um, but in terms of whether I think people that I know would be spending time on Facebook, uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. But but then again, I don't have Instagram. I mean, you manage our, our Humans of Purpose Instagram, which is great, um, and I don't know our audience like it, but I don't understand why people will spend time on Instagram. <laughs> So maybe I'm the one who's out of touch. Yeah, I was about to agree with you, but then yeah. I, you said that. And I'm like, oh, mate, do I want to be aligned here? Or? <laughs> well, yeah, I, I don't expect anyone to agree with me. I think I'm probably wrong on most things. But um, <laughs> well, what do you think about? Yeah, no, I, I mean, look, I, I well, let's think... do Twitter first, actually, because I, I've deviated. I started off asking about Facebook and Twitter. <laughs> yeah. So we think Facebook is still useful from an advertising perspective, but maybe strategically as a company and shareholder, different perspective. I, I think. Um, and yeah, like look for me, um, Facebook, Instagram, it's all meta. Yeah, it's know? all meta. So, yeah, so true. like realistically, you know, um, and I think the platforms are still good. People use them more than they say. You know, oh, I don't, I don't use Facebook anymore. I mean, I do, but um, uh, what about Facebook for work? Oh yeah, yeah, no, my company uses it for work. Okay, so you do use a Facebook product or like Messenger. Oh, I, I just use Messenger because that's where my friends are. I just have some groups on there that I that I still message. Okay, so you do use. And so, WhatsApp as well. You know, it's all WhatsApp, the same family. Facebook Marketplace. Like yeah. a lot of people just say, oh, I'll just buy and sell some stuff on Facebook Marketplace. Okay, so you do use it then. You're using it a lot. And people think like, oh, well, no, but I'm, I barely use that app. It's like it doesn't matter because 
Meta now knows the information about you because of your use of their product, they've got real estate on other news publishing websites and other things outside of just their suite of products where they can advertise to you and think people, you know, underestimate because they don't use Facebook, it must not be useful, you know, but actually, um, you know, it is still a really strong platform and um, still continues to be an outperformer. Yes, there was some issues overall with, you know, for people in terms of uh, return on ad spend. Mm. So people, when um, iOS 14.5, the Apple update from, mm. from last year came around and all of a sudden, you know, um, there was a kind of opt-in format where you had to opt in to giving Facebook your data as opposed to opting out of it. Which I think is a huge issue. <laughs> I mean, it was a great – so essentially in the first month they they had like only under 5%, I think, um, opt-in. So when you think about that, like how the hell do you run an advertising platform based on retargeting and interests if we only know 5% of the information about Apple users? Yeah. They're up to now I think 60 or 70%. So it really has grown back in and there's some strength back in what they've yeah. got to offer. But I, I um, yeah, I think that platform is effective um, I th- for an advertiser. Um, but I think people, broadly speaking, like get so fixated on these metrics, like you know, um, return on ad spend. Where I'm like, yeah, but oh, my return on ad spend has gone down because of the tracking issues, meaning that I can't see as much about the tracking. So Facebook must not be working. Oh, how have your sales gone? Yeah, great, doubled every month. <laughs> and you're like, well, I mean, what must be coming from somewhere? Yeah. Oh, and I just run Facebook ads, but I don't think it's working. It's like, well, mate. You know, like your blended return on ad spend, yeah. your, your blended ROI, here's all the marketing activity that I'm doing, here's the return on investment on my website. Yeah. Clearly it is working irrespective of whether the Well that's a good call to are. arms. That's actually a good call to arms for spenders to not just look at the metrics of their own ad return, mm. like as a holistic measure of success. Yeah, you've just got to think a bit wider about it. Yeah. You know? um, but anyway, so that's, I mean, I, I do think that there's a lot there. And um, I think people actually do spend an enormous amount of time, like, engaged in Instagram content. Yeah. And is Instagram and TikTok are probably more head-to-head in terms of the reels and stories. Um, I mean, you've got Be Real as well. I, I really do think there's a huge fragmentation on the way people want to interact with their friends' content versus the way they want to interact with it, um, entertainment and content creators, you know, YouTube, YouTube Shorts, TikTok, yep. Instagram Reels and so on, They're, and let alone, you know, all the other like, niche platforms as well. Uh, excuse me. Um, so there is like a lot of different um, different worlds, definitely fragmentation that's happening. Um, but then there's other things like you know Twitter, for example, which never really had any no. I mean, strength no, here and that. In, in, no one's um, really going to spend money on Twitter. Like maybe in 2012, people would spend money on Twitter <laughs> ads when it just came out. But now, yeah. it's like, what do you want to re- reach right wing extremists? <laughs> well, actually, um, you know, not to not to um, say that there's any relationship there with a right wing extremist, <laughs> but um, we have actually run in the past um, ads for companies looking to target farmers. Okay, interesting. Yeah, so because um, the basis essentially was, well, um, a lot of farmers are tuning into Twitter because of its, you know, directness with, you know, updates around weather, updates around different See, that's things. smart. That's really smart. And right. I guess, like, that's where I should be more agnostic around platforms. Like, you know, like, yeah. there is utility in all platforms for different things. Like, I... I actually, as much as I hate where Twitter's heading and I think it's a disaster, um, I still rely on it to curate um, tweets from um, journalists in sport yeah. and news. Um, so, you know, uh, Twitter lists is very effective way for me to get my little pinch updates and also to see what's <laughs> trending in a country or a region is really interesting. I think that, that there, like, 
world news yep. and the uh, relationship of tweets to kind of get the user sentiment from an event. Yeah. You know, um, I think Twitter actually is quite good. You won't find so much on it in Australia. Yeah. Australian news. You're not going to go rush to Twitter because of the floods and see no. what Australians are saying to get no. a real sense of no. of the of the um, the population. But yep. in other places, it's actually really great. I personally don't mind a lot of the um, things that they're trying out for Twitter. I, f- I think it's been, I think it's stagnated and they've lost a lot of direction. And lots, I- I'm glad that Come they're on, trying stuff out. You, you can't know? be a fan of the idea that a celebrity with millions of followers and a blue tick um, is going to turn around uh, when Elon says, you're going to have to pay me $20 a month now and be like, yeah, great idea, Elon. <laughs> no, like, look. I, that was ridiculous. The ideas themselves, you know, like, like I, I don't, I wouldn't want to comment specifically on every idea's validity, yeah. but I think the fact that they're saying this is fundamentally broken, what can we do to fix it? And they're just going back to kind of acting a bit more like a startup. Are you saying it's broken like as a business? I think so. I think I think certainly Twitter was breaking as a business. But in terms of like I think there's a big disjunct between what the vision was for it and what it actually was anyway. Yeah. Like people were calling it the dem- the online democratic town square of civilization. Like um, almost like to be deplatformed off Twitter was like losing your um, citizenship of a global community. Which yeah. Is just, what garbage. I mean, you know, what percentage of Australians would even be on Twitter? Well, I think it's just a very, you know, um, singularly centred way of looking at yeah. it. It's like let's get all the Twitter people in a room and and see what you ha- you think you have to say. Oh, I, I've got really big opinions and I see Twitter as being my space. This to is tell where I talk everyone. to the public. Like, it's, you know, because the, the old thing is like the, the Hyde Park talks where, you know, yeah. like in England, you know, you go stand on a box in the in Hyde Park and, you know, just talk to the, the crowd and that was, you know, very much how, you know, when we think about free speech, like yeah. the modern analogy, you'd be able to just go up there and say whatever you thought, no matter how kind of offensive. And if, yeah. if a crowd came and listens, you know, you had an audience. <laughs> that Maybe that's where Twitter needs to go into hardware, you know, <laughs> just create boxes with like little speakers <laughs> on the bottom. Yeah, you can stand on your Twitter box. What's well, a good analogy for like yeah. um, maybe whether originally you know, um, when Twitter was organic, um, whether you'd grow, grow, grow that following or not was based on whether people thought your ideas were good or not. Yeah. But it's sort of become this um, space where, you know, it's, Elon correctly identified the, the huge prevalence of bots and inauthentic actors. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, like what are the limits of free speech? Yeah. Like if it is a, a real global town square, can I come on the platform and do think like is it okay to um, have like illicit um, pornography on the platform? Is it okay to um, level hate speech at certain groups? Like, yeah, you know, what, what are the boundaries of, of free speech? And like I, I think that's where – Twitter sort of got itself into like a bit of hot water, like it was a bit yeah. left, left biased mm. um, around that stuff and then the right got really angry and, you know, sort of Trump being on Twitter and, you know, some other actors made it this really interesting melting pot of like um, ideology um, battleground. Yeah. I, I think it kind of already didn't have direction. Yep. And then, and you know, like there's still police in the town square, you know, <laughs> like yeah, yeah. it's not well, literally. There's got to be some, there's got to be some, Police in the town square, not not just police, but arbitrators of like what's good for um, that digital society and what isn't. Yeah, and I, I, you look at a lot of other platforms around this kind of lift. moderation, you know. Yeah, and you know, like like even with Netflix, had a lot of uproar, like from their employees as well. Like, Chappelle you know, the special, in yeah. particular. Yep, get rid of that. Get rid of that. Yeah. We only want this content. It's like, well, hang on. Um, I mean, I, I understand. Like, it's great that you have a voice, and and it's great that you're thinking about the impact of 
the platform on, you know, the broader audience. But, like, if you want to be, you know, um, I mean, uh, it, like without having too many things that are just an echo chamber for someone's yeah. agenda, like, yeah. you know, having having platforms that are truly, you know, broad. Um, broad and, churches, uh, so to speak. Yeah, I and I, I understand it's just a tricky space when you start talking about free speech and this is probably where for me, like I think there's a lot of other people who are of greater minds and greater, you know, vision around like the direction the world should head in for, for speech and free speech and yep. where that should sit. But, but I mean, it seems like these platforms have gotten to such mass where it's actually an important factor now in terms of what products they build and, yeah. and how they exist. Well, you can see the, the decisions to either platform or deplatform certain individuals who yeah. are either deemed at the time tasteful or distasteful is very controversial. Mm. And that's sort of like where you see like these little um, storms in a way. Yeah. Um, and how quickly it can turn, like, like with Kanye yeah. as an example yeah. at the moment, like just, I mean, I saw a post from yourself the uh, the other day on, on LinkedIn. About, yesterday. Yeah, yeah, yesterday. And it's like just you could have someone um, – like him, who actually is, you know, he can be a little bit. He's um, a rapper. He's a rapper, showbiz person. You know, yeah. like you know, whatever. Got nice shoes. A little bit crazy. <laughs> that, that's fine. It. He know. knows. He knows how to. You know, he knows how to interest an audience, mm. and that's great. And you want a little bit of that rumble, you know, on your on your um on your platform. But then, like in like two point three fucking milliseconds, all of a sudden it goes too far, and you've got these people who don't necessarily stand for you know, what you stand for, but like, you know, uh, like how many of these scenarios can you f- fit into? Like if this sentiment starts spreading um, amongst, you know, millions and millions of the people on, on these platforms, like how do you how do you handle that? You're dealing with these one mm. people who've got particular um, uh, followings, but like at what point is the following not big enough to worry about it? Do you know what I mean? Or like yep. at what point is it big enough and now it's a concern? And yeah. like how many times before, you know, there's, there's a lot there. And I suppose it's like a very subjective judgment as well from it's, it's in the eye of the beholder a lot of the time. Like I know that um, a lot of people have been offended by Kanye's um, stuff recently, mm. myself um, included, but I think it, it's more like with Kanye, I see these as like dangerous examples of hate speech. Yeah. Um, and so they're kind of worse than a lot of other things, whereas – Maybe some other things are um, harsh and maybe, you know, have gone too far, like little things from maybe Chappelle's special. But yeah. it's like you accept it in the gamut, the broader gamut of a stand-up comedian um, and Dave Chappelle's persona. Like yeah. It's sort of like, yes, he went too far, but that's what he does for his job. Yeah. Like he is a comedian and mm. comedians push the boundaries of, you know, free speech and that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, so interesting space. Um, the other thing that I just want to come back to that you touched on earlier um, was just around like data sovereignty and sort of like our own personal ownership over data. Mm. Um, I know this is a bit off, off topic for what we discussed, but <laughs> I just sort of like, you know how it's all changed and like basically all these companies now have like digital avatars of us. Yeah. Just through the, the feedback loops and how we use the platforms and everything. Like what, what does that make you think that, you know, a few percent only were opting into Apple's update or whatever for Facebook mm. and then 70% were. Like yeah. have people kind of accepted now that part of having these great social platforms and Gmail and Google Suite and everything that like all your shit is basically online and, you know, there isn't a lot of privacy or ownership of your own mm. personal information? I think more than anything um, people have probably made a choice about what level of experience they're they're wanting, and what sort of level of experience they're 
you know, deeming as um, a, a sufficient acceptable level um, and uh, maybe not understanding yet but hopefully are understanding that part of your payment is in your details mm. because, you know, if you um, are providing more information to these platforms, they can give you a better experience. Yes, it means that your data isn't private and necessarily yours singularly anymore. I think the platforms do what they can to make sure that they're not like literally, you know, selling it for free. You are opting in for this information. They're not like going through your phone looking for deep, dark secrets that they can, you know, necessarily um, well, keep not, on not file. Not that we know of yet anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think it's necessarily to be on file. It's more mm. It's more about, you know. Not remarketing opportunities. Yeah. It's, it's the advertising opportunity, which um, again, like for some people it's like, oh, I, you know, I said this here and then, you know, I see more of it showing up on my feet. I like that. Um, or it's scary, but like also I did buy it <laughs> because it was something I wanted. Um, and I think a lot of people kind of, you know, opted out um, of uh, of tracking and then, you know, were just still being fed ads and stuff, but they were just really shit. Yeah, I think it's, <laughs> I think it's an interesting thing like because at this stage, if you live in a, a city in a modern democracy, um, you're going to be advertised to no matter where you are physically or digitally, right? Mm. So really, like, do you want access to great tools that improve your life or not? <laughs> yeah, totally. And, <laughs> and like, uh, they know my name. Big shit. Yeah. What are well, they going to do They know that? my date of birth. Yeah. You know, the amount of times that people give their date of birth to, like, every place that they go to in the hope of a, of a, of a birthday gift. Or, like, a know? free coupon somewhere. <laughs> yeah, or, yep. like, my free boost on my birthday, you know. Like, <laughs> like that sort of thing. Like, Josh, when are we going for the boost together for your birthday? <laughs> <laughs> I've been saving up all these cards. Um, but like, you know, it, like that's people are giving away their data all the, all time. the time. All the time. In person and online. And even I think about like, you know, we've now got this big thing at the moment about, you know, like you think about your Medibank and your Optus. I was a victim of both, by the way. Yeah, I, I was one for two. Not yep. as cool as you, but, I, you know, I, I, I can still pretend I'm a Medibank user, you know. It's fine. I'm a public figure anyway. <laughs> There's no secrets here. Yeah. But, you know, it's um like, like, and they do have like quite a bit of information, but like it's not the first time your information has been stolen. Medibank weren't first. Optus mm. weren't first. It's happened a lot of times before. It's happening a lot. Like every day there's more and more and more companies being added to that list. You know, Optus offered to, you know, change over people's passports and, you know, change over, you know, people's driver's licenses for, for free and stuff like that. And I think to myself, like, oh, that's great initiative. But the bigger question is like, you know, what's the point at the moment? Like it's not going to take that long for someone else to be hacked into again. And when these systems are improved, you know, the kind of model modus operandi for a um, for a hacker is to find another way in. Yeah, you know, I think we're just at this interesting stage where, like, the hackers. There's always this war between cyber hackers and uh, the companies. Yeah, and and sort of that like governments, not for profits, you know, industry versus the cyber hackers, like that battle for people's personal information and data. And I just feel like at the moment the hackers are winning, and yeah. so the tide. We're just experiencing a bit of a, t- a turn in the tide, and now. The impetus has gone on to the, the organisations, yeah, uh, like even government and business, to sort of come up with a really good proactive response. And I think we're just in this kind of interesting time where we haven't really seen that power imbalance for a while, yeah. where, it's, where it's been that way. So it is a bit uncomfortable to sort of hear that, you know, you, you've, you've, your information's leaked, uh, Medibank and Optus. But for me, the response was like, yes, this is terrible mm. um, and it's, it's not ideal. 
but also like as if most of that information isn't already public and if people really want to find it, they'll find mm. it. Like even think about like, you know, people's like uh, emails getting hacked or like a lot of people's Facebook yeah. Facebook pages are getting hacked. Yeah. Facebook doesn't know that much in terms of like publicly information going into settings and then seeing like every little deep dark detail yeah. that a hacker could grab. But think about like your messages. Mm. You know, who do they know? Who can they, you know, ask to transfer money for? You know, who can they, you know, what stuff can they find in your messages that they can use, you know, either against you or as a way to leverage to get, you know, more money out of the out of the attack. I just think there's there's so much out there in mm. terms of opportunity for a hacker. Um, and if your data does get stolen, again, I'm not speaking in this from a, as a cybersecurity expert yeah. or anything, but like just on a holistic level, you know, um, I think it's a sign of things to come. Yeah, and, it is. And how I important agree. is this information? Yeah. Think, yeah. I'm with you. And um, what what kind of advice or what kind of things are Neon Treehouse doing in terms of thinking around like um, digital audits, cyber audits and that kind of thing for the for the you know, given the climate that we're in and your plans for next year and sort of the, the period ahead? Yeah, well, with access to most websites, we're just selling the information directly back. <laughs> <laughs> and well, we're taking a cut of the know. profit. <laughs> that's going to be the intro clip for, this, for sure. <laughs> no, so um, in terms of uh, what we're doing, like um, so we're, we're actually just about to kind of start speaking a bit more to um, all our clients to, to talk about doing a bit more of a kind of digital marketing cyber audit. So, um, who's got access to what you what you um, have at the moment? You know, does everyone need to be there? Are you setting things up like you know the fa- the um, meta business suite so that everything that you have access to is connected to your business manager and not necessarily your individual account? Yeah. If someone hacks into your individual account, you know, how do you access your whole business suite? They shouldn't be. Yeah. Um, all together, they should be exclusive so that you can operate one without the other. Um, but yeah, so there's there's um, even with websites like who's got access? Does everyone have two factor authentication on? Yeah, I love the two factor authentication. I think used to hate it. Now I'm all about it. I I still hate it in the sense of just the time when you're like, oh bloody hell, I've got to like now jump up my authenticator app or get the text message come through. But I see it as a small inconvenience for a, gr- a much greater level of security. Everyone just have it agree. on everything, and it's got better and easier. Like yeah. um. Unless you have to call someone, like the worst, the worst possible experience you can have. Um, I'm not going to name names, but a major telco uh, to to call them and talk to them about your home internet or your phone problems, oh. and to go through the security checks, establishing that you are who you say you are. Yeah, takes 20 minutes. Yeah, so like they haven't got that right. Yeah, in a human digital um, identity confirmation piece, huge, like grey sort of difficult sandbox. Totally. And I've even found, um, you know, getting the authenticator apps when they're available um, are just also, I mean, obviously moving from validating yourself. Um, I saw some banks, uh, like one one of our clients, they they were were working with a bank and the bank from a Facebook payment had marked it as uh, potentially um, suspicious. Yep. Locked them out of their accounts oh on God. a Friday at like six PM, and yeah. then said, "Oh, you're gonna to need to come in to validate your identity." By the way, we're not open Saturday, Sunday. <laughs> and I was like, "Thank you, bank." Yeah, it was like a four day campaign we were doing, yeah. and so like we essentially lost like seventy percent of the campaign. Uh, um, and this is the part that they haven't got right is like that sort of digital human uh, identity interface. Mm. But I do think the it's quite funny how your expectations and your experiences change. Like for me, I used to hate multi-factor authentication. I used mm. to think of it like as a huge hassle, which authenticator app, like bloody pressing all these buttons and lots of 
wasted time. But now I get a lot of pleasure out of like when I get offered multifactorial authentication to know that I'm more secure. Yeah. And the company has gone out of its way to ensure the security of that exchange. Like mm. that, that gives me pleasure. <laughs> I I think um it's such a small, simple thing to add into your processes, to add into your um general um, business operations yeah. to make sure that you're safe, you know, like, yeah. and the thing is as well, like, um, it's not just your accounts that you have to worry about getting hacked into. Like if someone's computer's stolen or someone's phone stolen or someone's whatever, whatever, you know, having these extra little bits and pieces, you know, can just slow things down a lot um, for them to only have access to one particular component. Mm. Um, and so uh, it, like, it does actually genuinely make it, you don't have to worry about, Going in everywhere and you know changing over your um, passwords, changing over your password necessarily as, as your yep. only way of protecting yourself. It's like there's other things you can do too. Like if they've got access to your um, to your um, like your, your your computer or like they've they've hacked into your Gmail or whatever whatever it might be. Yep. You know, changing the password will help. Mm. But if they change it before you, then mm. you know, whatever. But like if you can change the password and change the authentication device. All of a sudden, you know, like they are, it's a hell of a lot harder for them to do anything with that Very information. Hard. I'm really looking forward to triple factor authentication where you have a phone, an email, and then some other fob device where you <laughs> push a button to show that you're like, or it's a microchip implant and you yeah. touch or something. Or, or you have to go back to the, you have to go speak to them in person. <laughs> oh, that's the worst kind of authentication. I don't want to do anything in person. <laughs> I want you to do it quickly on your phone, but then spend hours coming back to us and seeing us in person. Um, so like in terms of the evolution of the company, Neon Tree House, and where you are also as a person, um, like obviously Neon Tree House now is doing more work with not-for-profits and social businesses. Mm. Is that sort of reflective of Neon Tree House trying to become more of a community stakeholder too or to play a bigger role in kind of purpose in people's lives? Yeah, I think um, w- as business has grown for us, I mean – I spoke earlier about you know, the Canadian rock band and so on. Mm. That was a matter of survive to thrive um, yeah. that, that we were taking from a limited pool of opportunities. But, you know, the last five years in particular, you know, people have really started to understand, you know, what the opportunity is online for them and, and what that's meant is that the pool and the market size and competitors, yeah, but mostly importantly like the market size, you know, has grown and so we're a slice of that pie and market grows slice of the pie grows and so on. So that's been awesome. But I think what we've realised over time as these opportunities are coming to us and, you know, you look at the labour shortages and things that we've also, you know, been affected by, like making sure that we've got the right people on takes a little bit more work these days than what it did, you know, four or five years ago when there were lots of people really eager to get into the space and not enough jobs um, to now obviously being the other way around. So we've got to be really careful about sort of the people we take on to maintain culture, to, to maintain quality of work, to maintain all these sorts of things. Um, and it's it's um, created a requirement for us to think a little bit harder about not just know your customer stuff, like do they fit the requirements of us to be able to operate with you from a financial and culture standpoint, but also like are we making the world better, you know? Um, are, we, um, are we working with people where we're helping – facilitate a really good story for them um, or, 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 you know, people who are uh, people in businesses who have a genuine impact on the world. And I think as a result of that, you know, we've seen there being this great opportunity for us to contribute more through nonprofits and impact-based businesses, businesses who are, you know, maybe entirely, you know, corporate and commercial, but they've got these elements of wanting to give back 
um, and wanting to do more. And I think for me, I've always had a soft spot with startups, you know, like they've got this big vision, this big idea, and they're going to change the world and kind of helping them do that. And we sell at the end of the day, whether we're doing market pricing, whether we're doing this, whether we're doing that, all the stuff that we do is people doing stuff. So essentially it's time. Um, Time will always be finite um, and that's always going to be a challenge to a lot of the stuff that we do. But it makes you think about like what do we want to spend our time doing it on? Yeah. Um, Do we want to spend 80% of our time just helping random drop shipping companies sell fidget spinners or Mm. do we want to spend time working with genuinely good brands changing the world? Well, surely it's got to be Canadian rock bands. (laughs) Well, they don't answer my messages anymore. So uh, <laughs> you mean Alana Samora said isn't available? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like Chad Kroger and, uh, and uh, you know. <laughs> let's 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 bring on Nickelback as a client for you. That's all I ever wanted. You know, the, the, the other guys were just a, a chance for me to kind of compete with the big dog. You know, how can I get on to Chad's agent? <laughs> <laughs> I think he's probably got the time at the moment to answer all his tweets. So to be fair, <laughs> do you find that you're there's a theory that um, working for organisations that are doing good um, as clients will trigger more intrinsic motivation in people, like their desire internally to do good, not for you know more money, but just because they want to, they'll be more motivated to do that work mm. because it's for good. Do you sort of see greater motivation levels for you when you're engaging the employees to do um, campaigns or, or work for organisations that have that sort of social purpose or activity? Um, it's an interesting question. I guess I think that we see motivation at its highest when people believe in what they're doing um, and they believe in the people that they're doing it for and they believe um, that uh, what they are doing um, and who they're doing it for is of is a value to the world. So I don't know necessarily that social good singularly is the motivator, but it's definitely something that ticks all of those boxes. And for the right person, they'll be like, that's fantastic, that's for me. Other people, the motivation will be, I really believe in this, I'm really excited by this, you know, I think it's going to be a great thing for the world, that's wonderful for me. And the social good elements are like the cherry on top plus mm. of this. Mm. You know, other people it's like the fact that it's social good, that is the the, the really big driver for me. Um, but, you know, we've got, um, you know, we've got a, a really great team of bright, imaginative people um, with a, as I said before, it's a boiling pot of different things that people want to do, and I think that our client portfolio has, um, you know, uh, replicated that. Um, I don't know whether this is a word or not, agnosticism, but like you know, there's no it is. like it Bingo. Is. oh fuck yeah. <laughs> um, but like you know, we're not just just doing property developments. You know, we're not the company that does eighty property developments a year, and we just kind of cookie cutter all that sort of stuff. We're looking at like. Oh, you know, like Info Exchange is an example who we're working with at the moment, as you know. Never heard of them. <laughs> um, I mean, you, for those who listen to you know, David Spreaks um, and that podcast the other week, you know, would see that they're doing some really wonderful stuff. Um, and, you know, I think that's some causes and initiatives that everyone can get behind. Yeah. You know, so it's hard to look at that run sheet and say, I mean, it's all right. You know, it doesn't really, you know, it's, it's not really wowing me. It's a great story and it's great, you know, vision that's there. And equally, you know, for for, for different people, you know, they see, um, you know, from a sport perspective, like we work with AFL Max at the moment, which, you know, in some respects is... Shout just, out to Pods. <laughs> pods. <boop, boop. laughs> um, but, yeah, they... Um, so, yeah, James Fossiali is, is kind of running running that and it's done a fantastic job building this this great business up, but it's it's got a mix of things there. So, like, yeah, you can bring your kids in for, for a kick and enjoyment of the space. It's great for birthday parties. 
Um, they've got camps, school holiday stuff, school-based stuff. They've also got these kind of like leadership programs and all that sort of stuff that's that's available there. And it's just um, it's just a great story. He's a great motivator and a leader there. And I think that you know for for the right people, they find that to be um, really exciting. And like I really get behind like the whole vision and the and the ambition for this business. And I'm excited to be contributing to that. Um, and then yes, like. For, for a lot of others, it's like building is also an important part of the Australian economy. Yeah, and It's a good point, actually. We shouldn't just confine, confine our idea of what's good to be social good. You know, there are a whole lot of ways that businesses do good no matter what they do. Yeah, and, you know, um, at the end of the day, like, like it is a, it is a less exciting in the sense of like, no, you know, like I'm helping putting like heads over <laughs> – um, roofs over heads, it's like, yeah, but oh, it's commercial and whatever, whatever. It's like, I understand that. They employ a lot of people than they roofs over their heads as well. Spot on. Mm. Uh, and, and, you know, it is a product that helps make, you know, um, housing more affordable or, you know, those who are willing to put um, more energy into it, you know, the house of their dreams or whatever it is, you're still helping people. Um, and it's a product where you can see the value. Like seeing the amount of leads and the amount of, you know, conversions and those sorts of things that are happening you know, helps the team see, like, I'm doing a good job, you know. When you've got really complicated visions that you're, you know, trying to contribute to but you actually can't see directly, like, your help in that, in that it, it does make it a little bit harder to say, I did a good job, I helped contribute. I think so having some of these things where, like, for a building project you can see the amount of leads, you can see that you're helping the business grow, it's like you can see a direct contribution of your work. Mm. Um, and same with e-commerce as well. We'd love to have more clients in e-commerce who are doing – you know, more great things for the world um, as, as the companies that we are working with at the moment mm. already are, but, like, you know, to, to, to continue to grow it in that way. Mm. Um, but uh, it's it's another great example of an industry where you can see direct validation that you are doing a really good job um, in, in the results so that when you are helping in those more complicated ways of kind of blending, you know, the objectives and the returns of what you're doing to the work you're doing, um, that that you get a good mix of, you know, um, validation and feeling that you, you, you're helping. I think that's – it's a service industry. Like we are here to help other people. Mm. And so being able to see that you're helping is rewarding for those people who like this industry. Yeah, no, that makes sense. In terms of growing a, a strong organisation, um, do you think that culture eats strategy for breakfast? <laughs> I mean, what are they? Are they hungry? I don't know. <laughs> I know. I, I think um, – I think they are both very, very important parts um, of the of the puzzle, um, and it's a constant balance between the two. Um, culture intrinsically has strategy intertwined all through it, so you know, it, like they need to be together. And culture can be defined in so many different ways. Like, I mean, you could walk into a room and see everyone enjoying themselves, everyone trusting each other, everyone you know um, enjoying working together, and so on. Fantastic, but like no direction. Mm. Like if we knew what we were doing, you know, we would all trust each other. But as CEO, how much energy do you put into building culture versus setting the direction? I think that uh, I think that we put a lot of effort into culture. Um, I think that we um, you know, spend a lot of time trying to make sure we get the right people on board, that we make the onboarding experience good, that we're developing our leaders internally, not just from a hierarchical perspective, but also from a um, you know a natural born leader perspective. Like you don't have to be. Um, you know, you don't have to be a manager to be a leader. Um, and I suppose Australians generally, but but our business is not an overly hierarchical business either. We don't have like seven levels of management. You know, we are quite flat, so it does require people to kind of step up when they can and be good teammates and, you know, um, be contributors and, and, and you know, we've got values that we 
that we um, um, ensure intertwine within the work that we do every day and, and draw them into everyday conversations and so on. I think that's been really rewarding. So culture I think is very important, but at the end of the day you need a direction that we're going for and you need a goal of what we're aiming for and you need you know, to put the culture that you're building to the test as well. You know, because it's all very. I, I, I saw this great thing from Simon Sinek about, um, you know, uh, young people coming into um, the workforce um, and then seeing these guys who are, you know, 10, 15 years older, where, you know, you're technically doing as, as a young person, like, you know, maybe a bit more work than, than, than the older person because you're ambitious, you're doing like longer nights and they're mm. going home to kids and whatever it is. Mm. Um, and all he simply says is, like, look, you know, I, I I get where you're coming from. You are doing a lot of work here and, and that's wonderful. But like, you know, this is my guy when times get turbulent and times get tough because he knows how to operate and do his job in rough seas. You know, it's the ship in the rough waters, not just, you know, playing around in the marina, you know. Mm. Um, and it's not to say that, you know, that, that kind of resilience doesn't exist there for younger people, but the, the, like knowing that you've got um, – uh, the ability to test people's abilities, you know, out there in the rougher waters, um, you know, toward a bigger goal. Um, it's not about just going in there into the chaos for the sake of it. It's like, well, we're here, but like realistically, we want to get, you know, a, a, a level greater. We want to we want to grow from where mm. we are today. We want to we want to hit another a marker. Um, and in order to do that, you know, there's rough seas ahead, uh, and we need to know that we're all in fighting condition. And culture is, I suppose, the the conditioning. Um, and the constant conditioning and the, and the final form that a business takes after being really strongly conditioned to operate well, you know, in challenging times, um, which can be growth, which can be, you know, um, which can be recession, which can be whatever that looks like. But strategy ultimately is this is what we're going to do, you know, and this is, this is you know, kind of how we're going to get from here to here. And then culture is what helps you get there. So I think they yeah, have to go well hand said. in hand, you know. That's really well said. Mate, been a fantastic catch up. Uh, we don't do this often enough. We should have a 10-year anniversary more often than the Tree House. How can people connect with you and learn a bit more about your wonderful work? Thank you, mate. Um, it has been a pleasure, as always. Um, but uh, look, head to, our, head to our website, neontreehouse.com. Link in the show notes. Uh, you can also connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, I think I'm Joshua White. Uh, I've been thinking a little bit about that. Like, why am I Joshua White? Everyone just calls me Josh, but I'm Joshua on LinkedIn. Maybe you could change it. No, no. Maybe a hacker will change it for you. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Interesting flex by the hacker just to yeah. change it to my preferred name. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so, so Joshua White on, on LinkedIn. Um, and, uh, yeah, look, I think the biggest thing for what we do is, um, you know, uh, we help um, – we help businesses who are looking to grow, looking for innovative solutions, like looking to, to do something more. Bright and imaginary people. Bright and imaginative people. people. And that's it. And not so, imaginary, that means they're not real, so they're <laughs> yeah. accurate. Um, bright, like very hard on the eyes and imaginary <laughs> people. You know, like no one exists. So you employ fairies, basically. <laughs> NFTs, essentially. <laughs> um, but I think, um, you know, if you've, got, if you've got plans or aspirations to grow or do something different or change the world, you know, um, it's, only a, it's only a phone call or an email away for us to talk about it. No, I'll just add, also, if you want to work with not just bright and imaginary people, but uh, <laughs> awesome humans who actually are really great to deal with on a people level, like um, how I met Josh is just, I walked into his office and just started talking at him. Uh, and he agreed to have coffee with me and we've been working together since. <laughs> and we've been mates since. Um, so, you know, not just a great organisation, but I think great people make a great organisation. 
So yeah, spot on. And actually, now that you do mention it, we, we have a couple of job openings that are that are out there. Um, I'm the, taken, mate. I told you. <laughs> oh, sorry. This you is... can't do both. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to either be the coffee run guy or the receptionist. I've already told you that. Um, but no, I um, we've got a couple of jobs out there. So yeah, feel free to have a look. They're on the website. They're on our, our LinkedIn. So um, yeah. So either get a job with us or become a client. That's the key messages. Uh, yeah, and you actually have to choose one. <laughs> uh, now that you've listened to this, there is only two options. <laughs> Great to be with you, mate. Let's go get coffee. Thanks, mate. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit the subscribe button in your podcast player and why not share it with a friend or two? If you want more from your Humans of Purpose experience, become a Humans of Purpose member today through our new platform, Supercast. All you need to do is hit the link in our show notes. If you have a message to share with our audience about your brand, products, or services, we have a wide variety of paid promotional packages available. Please get in touch by hitting the link in our show notes.